0: So last week we started this. Uh, this uh, a couple of weeks ago we started this series, and last week I started this talk about what Christmas is really about. What's it really about? And it's not about the feels of Christmas, F E E L S. Uh, it's not just about feeling good, warm fuzzies. It is about so much more than that. And so we were trying to boil down uh, the essence of Christmas to a bumper sticker. If you were here last week, uh, we made bumper stickers. Um, uh, if you weren't here, I'm sorry you weren't here. It's the best service we've ever had. I'm not going to tell you about it, but. Um, Anyway, so we, uh, we made bumper stickers and slapped them on an old truck we had here at the church. Really funny. It was kind of cool. And uh, by the way, I thought I was going to play a great joke this week. I actually found that exact truck. It's an old truck. I found it in Long Beach for sale. Exact same truck, but in pristine condition. And I was going to buy it and put it on the courtyard and go, Christmas miracle. <laughs> and then our CFO told me I couldn't afford it. So never mind. It was a thought. But uh, So last week, we were kind of trying to boil down the essence. Well, I think... Uh, the angels uh, in in announcing to the shepherds, which by the way, there's no reason logically, rationally, that the angels should be announcing the birth of our Savior to a bunch of low-level shepherds. I mean, they were the bottom of society. Why did he do that? He did it symbolically because he wanted the first people to hear about Jesus' birth were the, the people at the bottom of the heap not the people to expect. There's so much symbolism. The whole Christian story, it's not a myth. It's not a cute little picture. The whole, what we call the nativity, the whole thing is just rich with symbolism. God doesn't do anything by accident. They didn't happen to be in Bethlehem when Christ was born. The angels didn't just happen to find somebody in the hills, the only people they could tell about the birth. It was all intentional. And so as we are in this Christmas season, I want us to understand that almost everything we see, even when, when the rest of the society doesn't understand, it, is infused with symbolism about Christmas. Lights on a Christmas tree. Martin Luther realized he's the light of the world. He saw the, this, the moon reflecting through the trees one night on a snowy night. Went home and put candles on his tree. Fire hazard, by the way. But that's where it started, right? It's symbolism. There's so much about Christianity symbolism. And, and the, the first the nativity is, is that way as well. And so the story is found in Luke. If you want to open your Bible or open a Bible app, um, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. I'm just going to read the story for you. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. I'm going to stop real quick there because something we we recognized last week in this passage is we tend to think there was an angel and there was this spotlight on them, and that's what the glory of the Lord was. Two different things angel, glory of the Lord. You can't see God, but you can see evidence that God is near or has been near. And if you look at Moses, Old Testament, etc., there was an angel, but it, the glory of the Lord wasn't a spotlight of the angel. The glory of the Lord was like this, Wah. I kind of mixed it as a, as a glow, just kind of God's presence is here, which is, didn't happen to Mary, didn't happen to Joseph, didn't happen to uh, Zechariah. Uh, they only got angels. So this is a pretty big deal. This is amazing. And so, uh, and then of course they were terrified. Uh, which you would be as well. Um, so it, the angel says to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news, great joy. Bumper sticker, good news, great joy for all the people. Christmas, good news, great joy. Not fake news, good news. All the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. Here's where we pick it up today. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone to heaven, the shepherds said to "To one another, Let's go to to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off. And found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. A lot of great stuff in this passage. A lot of really interesting things. First, there are the messengers who are the angels. Amazing. And then there's the message good news, great joy for everybody. And then there is this mystery about the manger. Does this will be a sign to you? Now, we at a cursory reading, we might think that in, in order to get the right baby, we're going to tell you where to find the baby. And that's part of it. There are directions to which baby. But it, there is a sign in the way the baby is born and where the baby is born. It is a part of the message of Christmas. It's not just that the baby was born. It's where, it's how. We live in a world that, that worships, literally worships big and powerful and wealthy and even instant on some level. We have a certain kind of mindset. So the manger is a mystery until you begin to unravel. it. Why there? If you're going to make up a religion, one of the reasons I believe um, Christianity is true is because of the, the, the ugly, the weird, the unusual truth it presents Most of the biblical characters that we know about were not perfect. As a matter of fact, they're in scripture because of their imperfection and God loved them anyway. And if you were going to start a new religion, you wouldn't attribute the founder having been born in a barn. You would make it a little better than that, wouldn't you? And yet there is symbolism there. And so this whole manger scene is actually supposed to be a contrast. And there is so many contrasts going on here, contrast to the incredible angels and the glory of God, and then a a stable, (laughs) a barn. I mean, it's a contrast, right? There is the contrast of what we normally think, that if you're going to get ahead in life, you're going to be something. You got to be big, powerful, rich. And yet the one who changed the entire world was none of those things. It was a baby, helpless, not rich, very poor couple. Matter of fact, they couldn't even afford a sacrifice later in the chapter. Very poor. See, Christ came to turn our whole worldview upside down. That all the things that we instinctively move toward, think about, want to have, are, all, are not the things that will do, help us do life the way it's supposed to be done. Matter of fact, it's quite the opposite. There's another contrast that I love to describe, and if you've heard me talk about it before, um, this came real to me. On, on a, we, had a, we occasionally lead a trip to Israel. I think we're doing one in a couple of years, if you're interested, I think at 20 maybe. Um, and we don't make any money, it's just something we do for the congregation if people wanna go. A couple of trips ago, I, it dawned on me, standing not in Bethlehem, not at where they believe Christ was born, but in another place, in one of Herod's palaces, and, and and this palace is beautiful. It really is beautiful. And under this heap, it was it was destroyed shortly after um, Jesus' time because the Romans got fed up with the rebellions by the Jews and just wiped it out. And so it's just this mound of rubble. But they've begun to excavate it and and open it up, and you can see different things. And and I actually kind of snuck away from the tour and went into a place where I wasn't supposed to be, and then I got excavated. But um. Uh, But while I was in there, I saw an original wall from the time of Herod still painted, beautifully preserved because it had been buried, beautifully preserved. And and I just have to describe to you the color after all of these years, right, 2,000 years, the color on that wall was this deep burgundy wine color. It was vivid and had gold uh, around it. It was beautiful. Here's what's amazing about that palace. You can go there and stand now on top of it, and you can see Bethlehem. You see, Christmas is a contrast to what conventional wisdom of the world. The conventional wisdom of the world is that Herod had it all. He had a beautiful palace. He was powerful. He had everything he wanted, and yet within a line of sight of that is little Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem's a city now, but at the time that Jesus was there, there is this contrast. You could easily see this beautiful palace on a hill with, you know, the torches lit or whatever it was. And here's little Joseph and Mary. Who really is powerful? Who really is going to have the better impact in the world? This is a contrast. That's the point of of Jesus being born in, in a manger. And so I just want to kind of go through that for us real quickly and just point out some things. He was born as a baby. Who starts a religion with a baby? Well, the reality is, is that there were some reasons. Carl Sandburg said this, a baby is God's opinion that the world should go on. He was started not only as a baby, but a baby, a little tiny baby in a little tiny town in a very unimportant place, except in God's sight. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, it is called Bethlehem, it's called the smallest, even of its small clan. It is small. But God is trying to teach us that big isn't always the answer. We, especially baby boomers, love big. We love big stores, big houses, big churches, right? We love big. And yet big is not the answer because the answer came in a very small package. And we worship power and he didn't seem very powerful, that baby. And yet we find that he says in John 16, in this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The power that didn't seem apparent actually became apparent because he overcame the world. Here is the thing that we instinctively think that powering up, you know what powering up means? Powering up like like, I don't know what it is for women, for guys, it looks like this. Right? Oh, yeah. You learn it when you're about five. Oh, yeah. Then you are grow up. You don't do this anymore, but inside you're going, oh, yeah. Right? No? Not true? You're not laughing. That kid's not coming back out to sing, so you might want to catch up with me here. What we do is we, is we power up on each other. Matter of fact, I'm going to be at Young Adults tonight uh, uh, out in the warehouse at 7 o'clock. If you're between 18 and 30 ish, you're welcome to come. And I'm going to talk about how without Christ and without Christmas, all the world is a bunch of power struggles. It's just a bunch of power struggles. It's all struggling for power between husband and wife, between parents and children, between communities, between nations. It's just a power struggle. But Christ came to teach us that power is not the answer. He had all the power, but He came as one who didn't have power. Powering up doesn't work. He came as a baby, so we can understand. By the way, he also came as a baby because there is nothing in life that we will go through that he hasn't experienced. If he had come as an all-powerful king with, with, a, with, a, with an army, and by the way, the, the, the angels that, that sang or spoke about glory to God in the highest, that, that's either a choir or an army, or it could be both. <laughs> he could have come with an army, but then we'd say, but you don't understand. But being born as a baby... He lived his life, and he can never say to God, you don't understand, because he does understand. He came, he was one of us, he understands. He understands what it's like to be 12 and have acne, and he understands what it's like to be, be, be a, a person with peer pressure on you. He understands. I remember growing up, my, my dad, uh, I, I, sometimes we didn't earn as much money as the people around us, and my friends had better stuff, and their dads had more money. And sometimes I get feeling a little sorry for myself. But I learned pretty quickly not to mention that to my dad. For this reason, not that he'd be insulted. Uh, for this reason, um, at, uh, at five years old, they picked up everything they had in Oklahoma and stacked it on top of the car, including their mattress, and began to drive to California. And every time they ran out of gas, they'd stop and they would find work, usually picking cotton or picking uh, uh, some kind of fruit. And they'd work their way all the way through Arizona, all the way to California. And to the day he died, he could tell me how many, and I can't remember the unit of measures. It wasn't pounds. It was something that he could pick of cotton at five years old. He, told, he He remember that. And they would stop and they would camp and they would earn enough money by picking to get gas in the car and they'd move on and they'd pick and they'd move on and they'd pick and they'd move on. And so I actually took him on a driving route uh, to some of that. He and I just drove and he told me stories about each little encampment they'd stop as migrant farm workers making their way to California during the Dust Bowl. And, and, they, and I remember him telling me, and he took me to a lot in Visalia. And in, we sat in front of this lot in Visalia. He said, now there, that's where we fir- had our first house. He said we were so proud. Well, it wasn't actually a house; it was a wood platform with wood sides up about four feet, and then a tent above that. But we were so proud to have that because we first time weren't sleeping out in the open or in the car. And he said, then I remember when we got actual walls. And then he said, and then we got a roof. And then he said, and eventually my dad began kind of helping other people find jobs, and they began to respect him. And so he earned a little more money, so he opened a little store, so people in the neighborhood could have fresh, uh, fresh stuff coming in, and produce and different things that come in. And and my dad just. He began to just tell me with pride the journey he'd been on. I never, ever talked about being poor with him because he knew what poverty was really like. On the other side, Christ knows what pain is like. And you'll never once talk to him where he goes, yeah, I don't know what that feels like. You'll never once be able to say to God, yeah, you don't understand. Because he does. He was born as a baby. Came through all the processes we come through. He understands. He definitely understands. We worship power. We worship big. We worship wealth. This poor couple couldn't even, couldn't even afford a sacrifice. There's an interesting picture here. Not only is he born as a baby, but they wrapped him in swaddling cloths. Now, is anybody here, uh, any nurses from a maternity ward here? You got one, two, a couple of you. You people are harsh. No, I'm serious. Have you ever seen what they do to a baby when they're born? Baby just comes into the world. It's bright lights. It's cold. And what do they do? They grab that sacrifice. Am I telling the truth? Is that what you do? Yes, it is. it is. Don't lie. I've seen it. I am serious. I remember when they first handed me my son. I shouldn't have dropped him. I think that explains <laughs> uh, so much. I remember taking him and I, okay, I, okay, I got his neck, I got his head, I got it. No, no, you take him. I, these nurses just, and what do they do? And they flop them over, and they flop them back, and they squeeze, and they do all this stuff, and then they wrap them up really tight, right? Why do they do that? Because it makes them feel secure, right? Am I telling truth, right? It makes them feel secure, like they're in the womb a little bit, right? Do right. you know there was a time in history where they didn't do that because they thought it inhibited their growth? It turns out it not only makes them feel secure, but as they kind of push against that, it actually develops muscles in them. Do you know what swaddling cloth is? It's a maternity nurse going. Sh, 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 sh. That's what it is. That, and you're saying, well, why, did they, why was that mentioned there? Because I think there's a symbolism we're supposed to get, and it is this almighty God, who through eternity has been free to create, to do, to be, whatever, has now committed himself, has voluntarily come down to be one of us, and now he is bound. God bound. Why? The symbolism is this. He allowed himself to be bound, which is not the first time he gave himself up to something he didn't deserve, in order that we might be free. You see, it's a foretelling of what's going to happen later with the burial clause, possibly. It is, he was bound. He voluntarily not only gave up all of that, he allowed himself to be vulnerable, to be a baby, so that we could someday be free. Hmm. And then and then he was born in a manger. A manger is like a feed trough, right? Hmm. What's interesting about that is that have you ever been like in a barn with a feed trough? I used to live out in the country. Animals come in and at one end the food goes in. So we have this we have this warm, fuzzy, oh, the nativity. It's so warm and fuzzy because we think Christmas is all about the fields. <laughs> we used to have a, a barn and you go feed the horses, and we had a grain bin where we kept the oats. And anybody know what happens when you open the grain bin? The mice run. I don't think I've ever opened a grain bin when the mice weren't in there. You see, a nativity, a, a stable, is probably a cave. Miraculously, it's probably a cave and where they kept the animals, it was not a nice place. There was no warm and fuzzies. There was nasties, lots of nasties, lots of weird smells, lots of stuff. You see, because Christmas isn't about the feels, it's about the fact. The fact that God loved us so much that he came. And if we can come to grips with that fact, then we can understand what faith is about. Because any God who would do that for us, I can trust him. I can trust him. Interesting, last week uh, we did the bumper sticker things. And I haven't told you about this yet, but about the one I read, the first one I read when I went out there, it said, I'm an atheist, but I enjoy Christmas. And I read it and went, oh man, that's cool. We had an atheist at church. Probably a lot of atheists actually, but most of them won't admit it. And I was like, that is so cool. And I was thinking about how great it would be to this person, how great it would be to have a conversation with them. I would love to. Don't let me forget to tell you the rest of the story when I get done with the part of the story. Okay. You remember. Okay. It's a good ending. I forgot to tell the other services. So sort of a good ending, starting of a good ending. I was thinking if you like Christmas and if I were to project what you like about Christmas, it's the warm feeling, the fields. But if I could show you, and if you would put aside your biases and your hurts and your past and all this stuff, if you could put aside and take a look at scripture, it's not as outrageous as you think that God might come. And if you could come to move beyond the fields to the fact that Christmas actually happened, that God actually did become one of us, if you could get to the facts, I think you might end up in faith. And if you think you like Christmas now, a person of faith loves Christmas because we understand. We not only understand it in a general sense, we don't understand it in a theological sense, we understand personally because it not only changed history, it changed our history the rest of the story is this. Last night after service, a woman came to me because that was my husband. He doesn't believe there's a God. He thinks scientifically he can't. And that was the only time he's ever come to church with me. And he liked you. And he said to me last week, I'd like to have a conversation with that guy. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. There's nothing adversarial going on here. I've had so many atheist friends that came to believe in Jesus. It took a long time for a lot of them, but it's okay because it makes sense. There are no other explanations for so many things in the world. Christianity is rational. It is logical. It is true. And it's not just faith. There is fact. And I can't wait to talk to him about that. You see, the truth is when you come to the real Christmas, some amazing things happen. I don't have time to to do all this stuff, but let me just finish up a couple things. One is uh, after the angels left, what did they do? And by the way, the, 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 the angels interrupt do Go to God in the highest peace on earth. They're just so excited. They can't hold it back. This, this chorus or this army of angels. And then they go away and the shepherds go, what do they do? Hey, that was interesting. Okay, let's get back to our work. No, of course not. They said, let's go see. And they hurried away. And when they went, so here are the three things you need to do at Christmas. Here's, here's the bottom line for you. You need to go see Christmas for yourself. If you're an atheist, come find out if it's true. Objectively, look at this. Is it possible? Look historically. Look how early these things were written down. Look at the fact that Bethlehem has been a place of worship since within 60 years of Jesus' life, maybe less. One of the Roman emperors wiped out a place of worship at the very cave where people still worship in, in, in AD 135, if I remember right, wiped it out. But 200 years later, another Roman emperor constantly came back and built a church there. And that too was wiped out and they built another church, and that was wiped out, and then the Crusaders finally built the church that stands today. So the place where people believe Jesus was born has been worshipped since within one generation after Jesus. That's early enough that other people would know whether it really happened or not. You see, it's not just fantasy. This is real stuff. I challenge you, if you're not a believer, just check it out, not because I say so. You owe it to yourself. And if you are a believer, come to Christmas this year because they went there to see what if God was telling the truth. We're going to, it says, we're going to go see if this is as God just told us it would be. There are a lot of promises in scripture. If you're a Christian, I ask you, I challenge you to start seeing if God told the truth. If you really could bring peace to your heart in the middle of the crazy world. If you really could bring restoration to your relationship. If you really could bring hope when you're in the middle of doubt is it possible this christmas you could come with a fresh perspective and expect something from god shepherds went expecting and they were amazed and they came away and you know what happened not only were they amazed they were amazing because they began to tell other people about it when god is at work in your life you are amazing to other people and just let that shine yes god has changed me God has changed my marriage, God has changed my life. That's what's supposed to happen at Christmas. It says glory to God in the highest. And you know what, the result of giving God glory? God changed me, God changed me. I'm gonna tell a story tonight, it's gonna be incredible. I can't tell it to you now, but it's gonna be incredible. About how I got a letter that was sent to me 41 years ago. And as I read that, I realized God has changed me. God has changed me. And I, I can't wait to talk about that, because it's amazing. I hope it's amazing to others. God has done a work in your life if you've let him. And if not, this would be the year to let him do a work in your life. Glory, give glory to God. And then what do you get? Peace, peace in your heart, in your relationship, peace. This Christmas, give God glory. Let him change you. Come expecting and experience peace. That's what Christmas is about. Let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you that you changed me and you're not done yet, I know that. And sometimes I get so focused on the parts that aren't changed yet and the struggles I still have. But yet, I look back, Lord, as I came to you year after year, month after month, day after day, you have changed me. And Lord, it was only you that could do that. And I give you glory. I look out in this audience today and I see people who are changed. I see people here who maybe themselves formerly believed you didn't exist. And now they're here worshiping you because they came to find out if what you said was true. I see people in this room sitting together as couples who you wouldn't have bet on their marriage a few years ago, and yet you, you did, and you healed and changed them. I see people in this room today, Lord, who have come just from horrible backgrounds, family of origin issues, stuff, just stuff, and you have healed them. You've brought them to a place of wholeness, and they are amazing, and we give you glory for that. And I see people in this room today who are not at peace, who are struggling, who are trying themselves to fix things that are broken, trying to fix themselves and fix their relationships and fix, fix the world. They just don't have what they need. They don't have the power. They don't have, they don't have it all. And yet, if they would just turn to you today, you would bring them peace. You'd bring them wholeness. You'd bring them healing. So today, we recognize that night that you came. It was a night unlike any other night that it changed the history of the world. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.